couple of minutes there. Are you, are you still sharing your uh, screen, Trevor? No, you're on. Oh, so I don't see myself, so I, that's fine. Um, so, um, this current series, I have started every week saying the same basic ten things. And no one said you're getting tired of it, but you ought to be getting tired of it. So today is the last time I'm going to say those, because starting next week, we're going to actually go through my understanding of the end-time events with a chart that will address that. But these things are things that are foundational, and I knew if I started with that part of the series that uh, we'd, be, we'd be in trouble because the questions would always be about these things. So, uh, two errors, replacement theology and missing the point of the gospel. The idea that the present creation is not the one that was original, and it is not the one that will be ultimately, but it is the focus of salvation. Israel is central to the eternal purpose of God. God created the nations at Babel without hope and without him, and then he established Israel to be a light to the nations through whom he would bring salvation and bring deliverance from the curse for the whole creation. And the covenants, therefore, belong to Israel, and they're the focuses of the promises of God that include the Gentiles. The gathering of Israel and the other sheep, the Gentiles, and the kingdom to come will require resurrection. The return of Jesus will bring the beginning of the restored kingdom. That restored kingdom uh, to come is the kingdom of David restored with Jesus sitting on the throne of David and the apostles sitting on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Israel at that time will be the head of the nations and the Torah and the word of the Lord will be shared from Zion and Jerusalem as is always quoted when we bring the scriptures out of the ark. The gospel is the good news of peace throughout the creation. Things that bring joy, salvation, the Hebrew there, Yeshua, and the reign of the God of Israel over the earth. And that gospel is to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. But there are reasons why Jews have not fully received Jesus as the Messiah. Some because of their lack of faith. Some have been damaged by Christian anti-Semitism towards the gospel, uh, as we've altered it somewhat. But some have been temporarily hardened for our benefit, so that we might come to faith. There is also a purpose of God for the remnant that remains, that I'm going to talk about in the, next, in the coming weeks. We bear the image of God by creation, and we will bear the image of His Son as we inherit the adoption as adult children at the resurrection, which is the redemption of our bodies. And then last week, the tenth thing, I made a claim that the return of the Lord does not include a disappearance rapture, but an instantaneous resurrection and an instantaneous changing with the visible ascension and gathering that the world will see when they see the coming of the Lord. So, uh, we're going to now move towards the end times and the sequence of the events that lead up to all of these things that we've talked about, including the kingdom in its fullness, the new creation, 
and the New Jerusalem. Today I want to explain why this is so difficult for us to grasp and why we have so much confusion. And I'm going to do that by looking at two passages. The first one is in Luke 17, 20 to 37. So I'm going to ask you to look at that with me. Uh, if I got to pull it up here. Um, all right. So uh, Luke uh, 17, verses 20 to 37. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he, meaning Jesus, answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And he said to his disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, and look here. Um, do not go away and run after them. For just as the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky and shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and they were marrying, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the same thing happened in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking, they were buying and they were selling, they were planning and building. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down and take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Uh, I tell you on that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women grinding at the same place, one taken, the other left. There's a parenthesis verse here. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other will be left. And then he said to them, they said to him, when he's saying, one will be left, one will be left, one will be left. Where? And he said to them, where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Now, in this passage, Jesus makes it clear that the kingdom does not come with observed signs. That is because the kingdom is already here. Now, we've talked about this before. The kingdom is both now and to be. The now is the community of believing Jews and Christians. But it will come in its fullness. It will come in its fullness not by signs of the kingdom coming, but by signs of the second coming. So we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus says, the kingdom isn't going to come with signs, it's already here. That's important. Then he says that... He talks about the day of the Son of Man, and he says, 
he, he's really talking about the day of his full appearing or his revelation. But he tells them that he must first suffer and be rejected by this present generation. That is the generation that lived at that time. But he then continues, not to the Pharisees who asked about the coming, but to his disciples. That's a difference that's also important to understand. The kingdom of heaven was already there in God's people, but it has to come in its fullness. But it's not going to come with signs, but the days of the Son of Man will. So he says to his disciples that the people, uh, that when the days of the Son of Man happens, the people will be just like they were in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and buying and selling and planning and building. That's the way the world and humanity is. They focus on the here and now, even when God's judgment is about to commence. And they are clueless. But Noah wasn't clueless. And Lot wasn't clueless. They prepared for the deliverance, the salvation that was to come. Noah entered the ark. Lot and his family needed to get out of the way. They needed to come out from among them, not linger there, and not go back for anything. And Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. When this happens, and you must exit, and you must get out of the way, and you must avoid uh, the judgment that's coming, those who are seeking to save their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for his sake will save it. Fascinating text. Finally, we're told that some will be taken in judgment and the others will be left. The question is, where will they be left? And Jesus uses a phrase that he uses elsewhere, where the body is, the vultures will be gathered. In other words, you won't have to look for it. Uh, where there is a body, the vultures gather and you know what's going on. So he's telling them uh, that, they, that this will be obvious. I'll talk about that later when we look at that. Now I want to talk about another passage. So I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when we looked at the uh, resurrection when I was explaining that it wasn't a rapture, it was a resurrection and an ascension gathering. Right after Paul says those words, he's, he continues, after he tells them to be comforted by the fact that those who have died will not uh, be prevented from uh, coming into the, the uh, day of the Lord and the kingdom and all of that. He says this, Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they say, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child. And they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night and of darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, and let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. Since we are of the day, uh, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love 
and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but for the obtaining of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, alive or dead, we will be alive together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Now, very important that we look at these passages. Paul had said, we're going to be resurrected. Those who are dead will live again, and those who are alive will be changed. So comfort one another with these words. Now he says, we don't need to be instructed in the times or the timing, because we know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, not to us, but to the world. That is, the world will not see it coming until they see it coming. They will say peace and safety, and it will hit them like labor pains, and they will not be ready or able to escape. But that's not true of us. Using the idea of a thief who comes in the blindness of darkness, Paul explains that we're not in the dark, and that that day will not overtake us like a thief. Uh, we know... We will know and we will see it coming because we will be looking for it. We will be awake, we will be sober, we will be alert. As Jesus said, watch for you do not know when your Lord will come. We belong to the day and the light. So part of the problem of the day of the Lord and the kingdom to come is they're both somewhat present now. The kingdom and the light is here in us. The darkness is in the world and it's vast and ubiquitous. And many are walking in darkness. And of those who should be of the light, many are like Lot's wife looking back, longing for the world, longing to get as much out of this life as they can and not paying attention to the signs of the latter days. Now, we don't need to worry about this because we're not destined to wrath or eternal judgment to obtain salvation. And that will be ours whether we live or whether we die. Because He is the resurrection and the life and He is coming back for us and to us. So why are Christians so confused? Well, the answer is the things that we've been talking about. The idea of replacement theology and missing the point of the gospel. Not seeing the restoration of the kingdom being to Israel. And the changing happening at the resurrection. They now talk about the rapture. All of those things create incorrect understandings. And it makes it difficult to read the signs and the times and the timing. So the result of this confusion is an argument about the kingdom and the coming of the Lord and the new covenant and the new creation in Christian theology. So we need to look at the current thinking that's being taught so that we can understand the confusion. Two events are at the heart of the eschatology of the major traditions of Christianity. They are tribulation and millennium. And they are sometimes broken down into the word trib instead of tribulation and mill instead of millennium. And as a result, we get these little shortcuts of the sequencing of the return of Jesus and the presence or absence of the kingdom period and the new creation generally in this kind of term. Words like pre-trib, post-mill, those kinds of things. So the tribulation 
is a three to seven year period of very bad events happening on the earth that precede the return of Jesus. The millennium is the thousand years, literal or figurative, depending on the eschatology, where Jesus is reigning over the whole earth. Now there are three basic systems that have been taught to Christians. And I'm going to explain them. I gave you the chart. Some of you may have that. If you don't, I'm going to share that. I'm going to try to share that and see if I can make this work. Um, so, oh, I got to do the sharing first. So I'm hoping that you see that chart. Do you see that chart? Can someone tell me? It looks good, Bruce. The chart showing? Yeah. Okay, great. So um, now I've got to see if I can uh, see my text. I, okay. Linda just came in, so that echo is her. All right, so great. So now we're going to start with the first one, which is the amillennial. Now this word amillennial, the word a in Greek means against or not or negate something. So for example, a person who believes in God is a theist, but a person who does not believe in God is an atheist. So amillennialism is the view that there is no millennial period in a literal sense. And it is the view held by some of the church fathers. So let me, uh, let me see if I can... Uh, there it is. Uh, I keep having to switch screens so I can see what's going on. So what you're looking at uh, hopefully is the uh, uh, the PowerPoint. Amillennialism is a view held by some of the later church fathers and also by the reformers. So this is also reformed theology. It's been the historical but not the original view of Christianity. This view requires replacement theology because the church becomes the new Israel and the new people of God by means of the new covenant, which they confuse with the gospel, established by Christ at the last supper. <coughs> Excuse me, I've been sneezing all morning. There's no earthly restoration of the kingdom to Israel. The Jews are rejected by God because they rejected him. They can come into Christianity if they give up the Torah and quit treating the promises as they as if they belong to them. Because all prophecy and all fulfillment is in Christ who ascended into heaven and is seated on the throne of heaven with his Father, presently ruling. So this is a figurative thousand years. It's not a literal thousand years. It's from the time of his ascension to the present and to his return. That's a figurative thousand years. He's ruling now over the nations by means of the church. The tribulation 
probably took place during the period of the Roman emperors, or it may take place right before the Lord returns. However, the book of Revelation is mostly history, not prophecy. And at some point, Jesus will visibly return. There's no rapture in the amillennial position. Then uh, he will raise the dead, a general resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous together. Then destroy the earth by fire. There will be a judgment and a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. So the amillennial position, as you see on that uh, chart, is a position that is... Uh, excuse me a second. It's a position where you'll see the ascension of Christ. The church then increases... Christ is reigning through the church. There's no Israel or literal kingdom. There will be an apostasy and a tribulation of some sorts right before the Lord returns. He will return. There will be a general resurrection of both the righteous and unrighteous and a judgment and immediately the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem and the new man. So this view of millennialism is the historic view of the church and it completely is dependent on the fact of replacement theology. So the second one is what we call post-millennial. And the post-millennial view is different. It's based on the idea of the gospel as the power of God that will ultimately change the world and will bring about and usher in the kingdom. So again, the tribulation probably took place under Rome, uh, but it was ultimately defeated by the gospel as the gospel took over Rome and became the Holy Roman Empire. The gospel gets accepted in the world through missionary efforts. The nations begin to change and the world begins to be more and more Christianized, reaching its apex of righteousness and blessing. This improvement of the world through the gospel will be completed, even though there will be a little bit of hindrance by the final tribulation. And then Christ will return visibly. He will raise the dead. Again, no rapture, no invisible one. And remove this earth by fire. And then there will be a judgment and a new heaven and a new earth and an eternal hell to go with the new Jerusalem. Israel then has no place in this view as it holds to a replacement theology again, all things being fulfilled in Christ and in the church. Now, I'm bringing that, I'm looking at that chart with you. You will see the ascension of Jesus and the spread of the gospel as it overcomes the tribulation. The kingdom expands to all the nations of the earth, leading to a fulfillment of the promises. Israel, in that sense, is just one of the nations that may or may not accept the gospel. We have the second coming with a literal resurrection, general resurrection, and a judgment, and then a new creation, heaven, earth, Jerusalem, and mankind. Now, the third one of these is the uh, pre-millennial position. The premillennial position has several tribulational views in it, and you will see those in that context. 
This view argues that Jesus will, in fact, return to establish his earthly kingdom over the world. So different than the other two, this one does believe in a return with an earthly kingdom, but it is not the restoration of the kingdom of David. It's the kingdom of Christ. Um, you uh, hear it in some of the hymns. And Christ's great kingdom shall come to earth, the kingdom of love and light. This view partially rejects replacement theology through multiple approaches. One is dispensationalism, another is a covenantal approach. These make a distinction between Israel and the church. There's something God's doing with Israel. There's something God's doing with the church. This this uh, position has trouble with the exact nature of the relationship between Israel and the church. It becomes varied and inconsistent. What happens then is there are several versions that are tied to the issue of the tribulation. One of those is called past tribulation. That is the idea that we see in the amillennial and postmillennial ideas. That, that the Roman Empire at the time of early Christianity was probably when the Great Tribulation took place. The pre-tribulation view places the rapture, that disappearing, catching away, before the tribulation, while the mid-tribulation view places the rapture in the middle of the tribulation, about three and a half years into it, just before the wrath of God is poured out. This is sometimes called the pre-wrath post-trib, pre-wrath thing, because they've separated the tribulation into three and a half years and the wrath of God into three and a half years. The post-tribulation view generally rejects this idea of a secret rapture and simply places the visible coming and the resurrection together after the tribulation. There is evidence in the early church fathers that the Lord would return and establish his kingdom on earth. But, but it wasn't clear that that restoration was the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. There was already a beginning of a transference of these things into the kingdom of Christ who needs Israel and the church being uh, open to Jews coming in but not centralized by them. So these three basic systems are the general layout. And again, if you look at this uh, last one that I gave you, um, you'll see all three of the tribulation positions where there's a pre-trib rapture before the great tribulation, a mid-trib rapture during the tribulation, and a post-trib after uh, the the, uh, the tribulation. Then there is the kingdom on earth for a thousand years uh, in Israel. This is called the seventh day of creation. Um, and then there is a releasing of Satan at the end of the thousand years, as the book of Revelation says. Again, the nations surround the earthly Jerusalem. Jesus calls down fire from heaven and destroys this earth. Then there is the divine judgment, and then there is the new creation. So these are, I'm going to stop sharing that now. Uh, these are the um, traditional positions that you will see 
in every one of the the theology books on the second coming. They are a general layout that places this kind of chart there. And then what happens is details can be placed on it. But there's a lot of stuff that needs to be addressed. Ezekiel describes a temple that has never existed. And the question is, where is that temple? And is that temple built before Jesus returns? Or is it built by him as the Messiah? What's going on with that? So that's left out of these schemes. Who is the beast? What is the last days? Who is the false prophet? Is the beast and the Antichrist the same person? And if we're not in darkness, what exactly should we be looking for? What are the signs of his coming? Well, what I'm going to do next week is I'm going to begin to look at this, but I'm going to give you a chart uh, that has most of these events and some connections to each other so that you will be able to look at that as we go through each of these terms and events in the order. We're going to begin with the concept of the last days, which begins, in in some sense, with uh, Pentecost, when it took place, and continues to the really last days, right before the coming of the Lord. And so I want you to see how this works together. I know you need something to visualize, so I'll be giving you a chart uh, for that, and we'll be looking at it together. Uh, Now, my chart will not be completely exhaustive, because it would have to be a a poster, but I will give it to you uh, in a, a basic layout, and then more expanded layouts as we talk about the various parts. So, this is important because Jesus speaks a great deal about what his disciples should be watching for. He says they don't know the day or the hour, but they will know the signs. And he says to some of the Jews of his day, you can tell the signs of nature and you can tell the sky, but you can't understand the signs of the time. Now, I'm not suggesting that we are in the end of the last days and the Lord is coming back at any time. But I do believe that every generation could be the last generation and that we need to be aware of what we should be looking for and preparing for. And we need to be able to teach that to our children and our children's children in the event that we are with the Lord. Remember, Whether we live or die, we are the Lord. We may be with the Lord, but they may have to face some of this. I want them to be prepared as to what to look for, to be able to read the signs and understand it. Sometimes these signs aren't the actual end signs. Sometimes they are what theologians call a pre-filament. You guys are familiar with this with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is not Elijah, but Jesus said, John the Baptist is Elijah if you will receive it. So what's going on? What's going on is that these things will swell and recede, swell and recede, 
swell and recede. And so there we may not live through the great tribulation, but we may live through a tribulation. In other words, there are patterns of these things that we need to know so that we know how to live when we find ourselves in those. So we'll be talking about that next week, but let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll do Q&A. Father, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would help us as we look at